Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through an agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And uh, all the brethren who are with me, me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Did you catch what I just wrote right there for just a second? That he, he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to his will, to him be the glory forevermore. Amen. That, that, that deserves praise, doesn't it? Yeah, you see, I'm just amazed though you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen, even if we or, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you've heard, well, he is to be accursed. I've said it before, so let me say it again now. If anyone preaches a gospel contrary to what he's preached to you, he is to be accursed. The gospel, the gospel of that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he, he rose from the grave. And because he lives, we know that Jesus Christ is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. The only way to get to heaven is through him. You must believe in him. This is the gospel. And if anyone preaches something different, let me say it to you in the Greek, he is to be eternally damned, anathema, he is to be accursed. For am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? And if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel that was preached by me was not according to man. For I neither preached it nor was I taught it, but I, it was revealed to me by a revelation through Jesus Christ. You've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how he used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I actually tried, I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism among my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous in my quote-unquote ancestral traditions. The crazy thing is, though, but when God, when God who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, had called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I, Paul, the apostle, might preach Jesus to the Gentiles. I did not consult immediately with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were before me. But I went away. I had to go away to Arabia. And then, then I returned once more to Damascus. It was only then, three years later, that I, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who you know as Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days, and, and I didn't see any of the apostles except for James, you know, the Lord's brother. And by the way, what I'm saying to you, I assure you before God, and, and literally, I'm, I'm writing Bible, so if I can put my hand on it, I, I assure you before the Lord, I am not lying. It was only then I went up into the regions of Syria and Sicilia and I began to preach the gospel. Yet they kept hearing, even though they didn't know me or see me, they, they just kept hearing that he once persecuted this church was now 
was now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And the crazy thing is that they were glorifying God because of me. Did you catch that? They were actually not glorifying me, but they were glorifying God Almighty, Jesus, because of what he's done in me. He's transformed me from who I once was to who I am now. You see, it's no longer I, Paul, who lives, but it's Jesus Christ who lives within me. And this life that I now live, I'm going to live by faith to the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. This was Paul's identity. And in a world where we're focusing and trying to understand who we are, we have an identity crisis in this world and in this place. And we have to ask the question, who am I to God? Because literally this is what was happening within the church in Galatia. They were wondering, who am I to God? They started to change things and they began to question their own identity and the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection is enough. That his grace is enough. That his love, his forgiveness is simply enough. That identity in Christ Jesus of who I am, who I am declared to be a child of God is simply enough. But yet we question today, and it's rampant, not in the time of Paul's day in this towns and cities in the region of Galatia, but it was really, and it is today, an epidemic within our country. We have people questioning and young kids questioning and wondering, which home will I be at today because my parents are divorced and they live in one house one week and another house another week? What's my identity? Am I mom's or, or am I dad's? Young people at age eight question their, their own gender to the ability to even wonder who I am. Am I bisexual? Am I a trans? Am, am I, I'm just questioning. I don't even know my identity. I'm told by, by my friends. I'm questioning my own self. I, I have this identity crisis going on. We even wonder within our schools and our systems, which career choice should I be? Even on Instagram, I tell one story, but on another story, personally, I am totally different than who I proclaim to be. I question my own identity, even within this country. We are a red state or a blue state, or are we a red, white, and blue country? What is our identity? I think it's probably best seen and profound when a young woman is walking up that altar and there's the groom standing, waiting to receive his bride. That woman's about to forever be changed for she will now be placed on her life, a new name, an identity given to her by her groom. And he will place upon her a new name that she will change her license, she will change everything from her social security to her Instagram page to every single area of her life. Her name will now be new. And for every Christian in this room, a follower of Jesus, that is what has happened to you. You are no longer who you once were. You are now a child of God. You are no longer so-and-so. You are now called and declared a Christian. And our life is different. But yet I still question, and I wonder, because there's something lingering in my past, who am I? Am I still good enough for you, God? Am I really the person you want me to be? Because I don't feel like I live up to those expectations. This morning, I pray, whether you are at home or you are here in this place, that you come to discover 
what Paul came to discover of who he is to God and that the grace of God is far greater, far more beautiful than you and I could ever understand. It's depth, it's height, it's width, it's breadth. For the love of God is great. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we thank you this day because today is the day that we declare your glory and your beauty and your wonder and your love. And as your word is proclaimed this day, may it resonate with our hearts and our minds. Lord, I ask that you would transform us by your word, that your word would set us apart and it would renew our, our hope, that you make hope alive. From the beginning to the end, your love, it never ends, Jesus. And may that be true, not just in this place, but those around this, this city and this community. Would you bless every single church, Lord, that is proclaiming the gospel. You know them by name, and Lord, we love them, and we thank you for them, because what you are doing is dynamic amongst your community. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Everybody said amen and amen. Welcome home. So glad you could be with us this morning. And if you are at home, so glad you could be here. We are opening our Bibles. We are looking through the, we are studying through the book of Galatians. But today, actually, I want you to jump to Acts. Acts chapter 7. Would you join me there for just a moment? Acts chapter 7. We're going to hit Galatians in, in, a, in a moment. And actually had the opportunity to share with you Galatians chapter 1 at the opening so that you could hear what we were studying and, and hear it from the life of Paul, who was once known as Saul, and he wrote a dynamic piece of scripture that, that really we've got to unpack together today. That Jesus is simply enough. His, his word is enough. His love is enough. His forgiveness is enough. And when we can understand that and tackle that together, boys and girls, men and women of all ages, it is awesome. Jesus is awesome and he is alive. Can I get an amen this morning? Come on, church. Come alive. Come on. We got to celebrate Jesus. I feel like I need to go down south and, and start preaching over there somewhere. All right, so today, as we, we unpack Paul's story, this is literally his testimony, his life, and, and we get to understand why he wrote this, this letter to a church called, uh, in the church of region of Galatia. It was a community, modern-day Turkey. He would take a boat trip across the Mediterranean to this island of Cyprus, and then he would go north and hit... Uh, this place of Antioch, and, uh, and, and he would go to these different regions of Iconium and, and Lystra and Debris, and we're going to look at those in the coming weeks and see his life, his ministry, as he went on his first missionary journey, and he was so connected to this. But he was compounded and, and frustrated. He was like, guys, why are you leaving this wonderful thing called the gospel? Why are you leaving this? Like, you're, you're trying to add to it. You're trying to manipulate it. What are you doing? This gospel is so profound. Why are you adding to it? This gospel is simple. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And because he lived, whoa. Jesus is the life changer. And we can look to him. He claimed to be God. He proved it by rising from the grave. It was the greatest comeback of all time. And he wants people to know that. And Paul is like, this gospel is simple. Would you guys just not believe? Please just believe in him. Now, Paul's story is unique. It is dynamic. 
And it has to come with a, a little breath of understanding why, why the grace, the forgiveness, the love, the acceptance of God is so important. See, Paul saw himself as a, the chiefest of all sinners. Is chiefest a word? I'll have to play Scrabble and figure that out later. But he was the worst of the worst. The, the, he would say, I, I'm, the, I'm the bad guy. This is how he described himself to a friend, a good friend, a young man that he would pour into. His name was Timothy. And he said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.13. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. This is who I was. I formerly, it, I, I don't deserve grace because I used to destroy people. And that's what we're going to see first. But he discovered something that he would later tell Timothy. Listen to what he says. He says, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. Would you say it with me? More than abundant. Come on, everybody. Three, two, one. More than abundant. We'll put it up on the screen. Okay. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was what? More than abundant. One more time. More than abundant. That was not everybody. And you guys don't seem very excited about this grace thing for a minute. Maybe you at home are more excited to hear the people in this room right now because grace goes upon grace. We're going to see it dynamically shown. Paul got this. He was a violent aggressor. He was a persecutor. He was evil. And yet he's like, I acted ignorantly in my unbelief, Tim, but the grace of our Lord was what? More than abundant. It was bigger than my chiefest sin. It was bigger than me doing this. Let's look. This is how we see Paul the apostle. His name was originally Saul. Let's look at it together. Verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. Let's look at it together. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. The scene is a man, he became a deacon. His name was Stephen. And he was seen to have a face of an angel. He was a great proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He watched Jesus die, be buried, and rise from the grave. And he was on fire for Jesus. He was an evangelist. And he began to share Jesus with all those he grew up with, his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And they were so mad that Jesus was claiming to be God, that Stephen believed Jesus to be God. And this was the, the, the turning point. And they were so mad, they were cut to the quick, or they were angry. They were gnashing their teeth. Imagine how mad you might be of grinding your teeth. They were furious. Well, Stephen, verse 55 being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Jesus said, behold, I see the heavens, oh, excuse me, Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is cool. If you want to highlight, circle, underline, notice what Jesus is doing right there. He's not just hiding behind a door in a closet. He's not shopping. He's not, not paying attention. Jesus, at any person's life, he's looking intently at you as we'll even see even further, but he is standing. This is the moment of Stephen's death. And he's just not sitting like, I hope you, hope you get through this. Now Stephen looks up to heaven and he sees God standing, looking out to him. And he's like, behold, I see the Lord there right before me. And he's going to be there to encourage me and to help me. And this is your Lord God and Savior. He loves to just be there for you, to help you through thick and thin. 
And it says there in verse 57, they cried, the Jews, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. They hated Jesus. They hated this, this story of the gospel. But when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning Stephen. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who just said a moment ago in Galatians chapter 1 that he was now a follower of Jesus. How could this happen? Because this is the man who was actually seen at a murder scene. They went on stoning Stephen, verse 59, and he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. I have to imagine in Saul's life, this would stick with him for some time as he's looking at the image of a man who has the face of an angel praying for them, just like Jesus was on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yet, it says, Saul, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in his hearty agreement with putting him to death. He was, he was delighted to see this man be put to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made a loud lamentation over him. But Saul, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them into prison. Man, Talk about a guy, when we first meet him on the scene, he is a bad dude. He is not, uh, imagine, I, I think of the days of the Holocaust. Imagine like you're, you're in your house and all of a sudden a door gets busted open and all of a sudden, if you're a Jew, you are now taken by German, the German force, the SS, and taken off into uh, uh, a ghetto or maybe taken from the ghetto into a concentration camp and then out of the concentration camp into a burning furnace to be destroyed and killed. This was what Paul was doing to the Christians. And he was taking them and destroying their lives. The scene of the day, but how, do, how does a man get this way? What makes you so angry about, about these Christians? They're supposed to be loving people. Remember, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. What's so wrong about that? We all want to be loved. Yeah, right? Yeah. We all want just a little respect. We all just want to be loved. And what's wrong with that love? love? Love is powerful. But you see, they hated this person who they believed, Jesus. See, growing up as a young Jew, you're taught the way of the law. Paul would say it this way to the church of Philippi. He says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, man, I'm a Pharisee. As to the zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is the law, I was found blameless. I was all about following 613 commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. You, you talk about honor, love God. You talk about don't worship, don't do anything on the Sabbath day. Uh, uh, circumcision, like I'm all for this stuff. I, I am for every single thing from, from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament. That's my story. I live it. He would say this in Acts 22, verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sic Sicily, 
but brought up in the city, educated under Gamilia, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. You've heard of a Jesus freak? Well, this guy was a Hebrew freak. He was all about the Hebrew way, the Jewish way, Judaism. And literally, it's so close to Christianity. They were just missing one thing, Jesus. You know, every single religion, and this is why he says to the church of Galatia, he's like, I am so amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace for a different gospel. It's really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort this gospel of Christ. And so he says, anyone or an angel should preach to you a gospel different from this. He is to be accursed. It's like, it's so simple. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. Why don't you believe in this? But for Jews, see, when Jesus declared himself to be God, they wanted to pick up stones. They just didn't believe. In fact, they're the ones that, that crucified him. They, they're the ones that like, hey, let's go, let's go put him on the cross. And then when J Paul's coming out and saying, guys, you got to believe in him. Man, it, it, it cuts them to the quick. It hurts to the deep in the soul because growing up as a Jew, their mindset of a, of a Messiah was going to become the king of like a Roman king, an authoritative king, a king like a president of the United States or a, or a, uh, a leader of, of like Caesar. They were going to lead this kingdom of freedom and, and peace in their region. Not that God had intended it. See, God had intended to change and transform the life, change the heart, transform the mind. And that's what Jesus wants to do today. But these guys, man, they didn't believe it especially when Jesus rose from the grave, they're like, oh, snap. And then on one of their greatest holy days, Pentecost, oh, this, was, this was a great day for the Jew to celebrate the Lord. And on this day, 3,000 people do not become converts to Judaism. They become followers of Jesus. 3,000 people. And they began to transform a city in Jerusalem. And the word of gospel began to spread. And so what do you do when that happens, when especially you don't believe Jesus Christ to be God? By the way, do you realize this is the one thing that every single religion is up against? Mormons do not believe Jesus Christ to be God. They believe he is created and the brother of Satan. Hindus do not believe Jesus Christ to be God. Muslims do not believe Jesus Christ to be God. Uh, atheists, think of a religion. Every single body does not believe Jesus Christ to be God. But there's one that sticks out like a sore thumb that believes Jesus Christ to be God. And that's Christianity. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, the life. And the people began to, to go around and began to change lives. And I want you to turn your Bible to Acts chapter five for a minute. Well, let's see, understand the story, understand the, the backlash, why this was so important. Acts chapter five, and I want to pick up in verse 17 with you. This is really important for us to, to understand today. As you understand Paul's story from Saul to Paul, why it would change. It says, the high priest rose up along with all the associates that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Now, now, why would they be filled with jealousy? Because Peter was proclaiming this good news. He, Jesus Christ, saves lives. He transforms lives. Why don't you guys believe Jesus to be Savior? And they started to follow him. Well, these guys were cut to the quick. They were angry. They were jealous. 
of what was happening. So they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in the public jail. They didn't even get to have the cool jail. They, they had the, the common jail. They're like, oh, bummer. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life of Jesus. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple and about daybreak, they began to teach. <laughs> so, so here's a... Hey, let's put them in jail. Let's have them stop preaching the gospel. So what has happened? God sends an angel, opens up the doors, and now they go back outside and start preaching the gospel. Man, what a bummer. So when that happens, what do you do as a Jewish group? You do what everybody does. You have a meeting. Hey, let's have a, let's come back together. Look at verse 21, the second part. He says, now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together even all the sons of the sons of Israel, and they sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in their prison. Of course not, because an angel brought them out. And, and they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. It's like they vanished. And now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. <laughs> oh, dude about them as what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. Now, don't miss this part. Don't miss this. For they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. You see, this good news was so good, and they realized what they were doing by trying to isolate and bring them back. We can't stop this. We gotta stop, we gotta try to stop it. But then the angel sets them free, and they go back outside preaching the good news, and people are coming to faith, and this is awesome to see. And you're like, man, we, we don't want to make a scene, but we don't like them to, to come out, and we, well, let's just bring them back quietly. And so they bring Peter and the guys back, and when they had brought them back and they stood in the council, verse 27, the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. It's like they're trying to go on Twitter and share the story and it keeps getting blocked. And it's like, no, no, no. But Peter, <laughs> but Peter and the apostles answered, this is so good, this is so good. What is Peter's response? Well, I must, I must listen to you, high priest. I must listen to my friends on social media. I must listen to uh, what my heart says. No. Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel, to you guys and the forgiveness of sins. This is what Jesus is about. Like he loves you and accepts you. He, he's offering forgiveness. He's offering eternal life. He's offering to wash you clean, to have hope, joy in this life. And we are witnesses to this, he says in verse 32, of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, when they heard this, because they don't believe Jesus Christ to be God, they were cut to the quick Furious, another translation might say, and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who? Gamaliel, didn't we hear his name earlier? He was Paul's teacher. 
So we get the idea, Paul, or who was Saul, he's probably standing around, listening and seeing what's all taking place, and now his teacher's going to stand up. And these guys are angry, they're furious, and Gamaliel's coming up, and Saul's like, yeah, bring it to him, teacher. Tear him apart. Wreck him a new one. You know, do what you got to do. So what does he say? The teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to the men outside for a short time. And this is what he says. Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thedius rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined him. But they were killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, a man, Judas of Galilee, he rose up in the days of a census and drew away some people after him. And by the way, he died. He too perished. And all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these guys. Let them alone. For if this plan of action is of men, well, it'll be thrown away. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll disperse, they'll die. It won't happen. It'll never exist anymore. But... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. <laughs> okay, if this is of the Lord, you're not going to be able to stop it. You can't stop it. Now, you know what? Since this day, 2,000 years ago to this moment, the gospel has not been stopped. Jesus has been preached. He, he keeps being proclaimed. He keeps changing lives. Churches around this world have gathered together this day as we celebrate a risen Savior. The gospel cannot be stopped. You better stand back, Amelia says. And Saul's like, dude, come on. You could have, we, we want to kill him. And, he's, and, and what do you, what do you, teach your, this, come on. But if it's of God, don't stop it. So what do they do? Verse 40, they took this advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. They hurt them. Oh, these guys are of God. Don't do that. Sir. Don't go against the Lord. And they went on their way in the presence of the council rejoicing as they considered worthy to suffer in the name of Christ. You know, consider it all joy, brother, when you go through various trials. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus Christ because the gospel will never be stopped. Jesus will never be finished. He will keep on sharing the hope and love and he sent his people, you and me, to declare his glory, his wonder, the newness of his hope, his life. And we are his church to share that. See, the understanding of why they're so angry and they're furious is because the very thing of what they believed in was being changed. And it, and it, it couldn't be this way. Can't be this way. Jesus can't be the Messiah. But something happened to Paul. As he's watching miracle after miracle, he's watching lives change, his community falling apart. They're so angry. Everything I grew up in, everything I was raised to believe is now changing. I've got to hold on to tradition. I've got to hold on to what I, I, I was taught. But on his way to Damascus, something happened in his life. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, he declares a story of hope, how God ministered to him, changed his life. He's on his way to go kill Christians, followers of the Messiah, known as the way. He was on his way to kill them. And on this road to Damascus, about 100 miles of journey from Jerusalem, he was encountered by a great light. 
and he was brought to his knees. And God says out loud, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I have to think for a moment, here's a God who not just has been watching, has been seeing, he knows what Saul's been doing his whole life, and yet for this moment, he stops him dead in his tracks. And he speaks to him right there. Saul. Saul. He says his name twice. He wants to get his attention. He who has an ear, let them hear. Understand the words, just like Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, if you got to listen to something, listen closely, Saul, I know you by name. Saul, I was there with you. Even in your mother's womb, you knew I was calling you. I was preparing you. And at this moment, on his way to, to change and destroy a church, God stops him right there in his tracks and he reveals his hope, his truth. And the crazy thing is, every single one of us in this life who has an ear to hear listening right now, listen, your story may, you might think that you are too dark of a past or too dark of a story for God to even transform and change. You have nothing on Paul. He would, I really believe, deep, deep, deep in his heart. He was the worst of the worst. Who could ever forgive me? But something happened to him. He was transformed. His life would be forever changed. And in fact, maybe you've had that happen to you. Or you've walked into a doctor's office and the doctor says, you have cancer. And you sit there in that room and say, what? What, what did you just say? And you, and you process it. And you go back home and you probably weep and cry for a moment, realizing that that word cancer to you is a terminology that means death. Some of us today, we get that diagnosis and we've said, I have corona. And it's been projected and preached to us that we, this is like a death sentence to us. And you begin to stop and reflect on my life. You're just going about your day. For me, just a week ago, a couple weeks back, I, I was just going about my day and I was stopped dead in my tracks and my, my disc and my back exploded and it shot forth and I couldn't move. And I was stuck and I, my life was for a moment changed. You begin to reflect in your life and you begin to wonder like what I was doing doesn't really matter. Jesus loves to just get a hold of your life sometimes and to just stop and transform and we begin to think in those big pivotal moments in history in your life and your story. God wants to be a part of that journey and that story and he's saying, Saul, Saul, he's calling you by name. Who am I to God? When Paul met, excuse me, when Saul met Jesus, he said it simply this way. I like how he says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Do you realize when you meet Jesus Christ, he takes away your sins. He washes them as far as the east is from the west. He transforms you. You become new. You become dynamic. He was once the worst of the worst, but now he's a child of God. Listen to what he says. If you want to go back in your Bibles for a moment, go back to Galatians. Go back to Galatians. Actually, you probably never went to Galatians yet. All right, let's go there. All right. 
You're, you're there. Galatians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians. You'll see it right there, chapter 1, and I want you to go right to verse 15. And I don't want you to miss this. You might see it on the screen, but grab it in your Bible. Highlight it in your Bible. Circle it in your Bible. But I want you to see the first three words that are right there in the text. He says simply, this is his story, but when God. Would you say it with me? But when God. Okay, that was like this side of the room over here. I like stereo. I like that dual surround sound system. Maybe you at home can bring it like, okay, here we go. Three, two, one. What? But when God. This is transformational. You cannot miss this. He, right before this, he says in 13 and 14, he says, you know my former manner of life, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. There's not a, here's the measure. I went beyond it. I tried to destroy it. Me, Saul, an accuser of the brethren. I was like the devil himself. I was a, a tool of the devil. And I had this measure of standard and I tried to take it beyond it. The crazy thing is, but when God, this is that dynamic phrase in all the scripture where God just transforms a life. You've heard it said this way, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but, would you say it with me? But the gift, free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives us hope. That word but in scripture equals hope. Would you say that word with me? But, I know it sounds, I know it sounds like some of you in this room are like, that sounds kind of dirty. Okay. I, like I think if I kid, I grow up with kids, I have kids, I got little kids and I, I get it. We sit in our rear, we always talk about, so, but here, here's the phrase. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a word actually in scripture that means hope. And some of you right now are going to be upset that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this anyway because I want it to sit in your mind. Our God loves big butts, okay? Our God is a God of butts. And listen, and every single one of you has, <laughs> has a hope, the butt of hope. And here's, here's the thing that I'm sharing with you today. The wages of sin... Every one of us have earned death. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Equals death. But there's a free gift that God provides. Every single one of us. Look it through scripture. It's everywhere. And this is what happened to Christ. Jesus shared. This is what happened to Paul. He discovered. He was on the road to Damascus to destroy the church. He was an evil man. But when God, who had called him, even from his mother's womb, and set him apart... God was pleased. He was so pleased to reveal his son in him so that he might preach this gospel to the Gentiles. Here's the bad man. He's, he grew up hating the church. He wanted to condemn the church. And yet, God had called him to an answer to a hope of grace, a forgiveness, an understanding of love. He told the church of Ephesus this way. He said, in him, in Jesus, what I've come to discover, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. 
it's so hard to describe the picture of grace. There was a man uh, recently who wrote a song called Reckless Love. It's a song speaking about how God's love is so great. It's so wide. It's the grace. Is, it's like, if I could describe it, it's reckless. And some people have got it offended because how could God be reckless? He's, he's, it's, a, it's an adjective. He's trying to describe this, this, this description of the amazingness of God's love. Here, Paul tries to unpack it. And he's like, his riches of his grace, he's, he's lavished it on us. I get that picture. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember those old soap commercials, Zest. I am zestfully clean. And it's the idea, like, I got soap all on me and I'm covered in this forgiveness and I'm washed, cleansed by the blood and the, the sacrifice of Jesus. He's cleansed me. He's given me the antidote and I've been zestfully clean and I'm cleansed by the precious love and forgiveness of his grace. He's lavished it all over me. He's given it to every single person, no matter what you've done. The crazy thing is, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing grace. I think of that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet that sound, who saved a wretch like me. Boy, that's probably Paul. He once was lost, but now he's found. I was blind, but now, now I see. I see for the first time. I see for the first time that everyone, everyone in this story has a dark side. That everyone, everyone has hope in Jesus. And that everyone can receive grace today. And truly, that's our starting point for every single one of us. God's grace is for you. This was the story of Paul. It transformed his life. People were proclaiming, the guy that once preached the ones try to destroy the church. He was now preaching this faith, this amazing grace to everyone. And they were glorifying God because of him. See, God gets the glory when he transforms a life. When he takes a hold of life and he brings new hope and revival into you. You know, I, I don't know your story. I don't know your hope where it might be hopeless. It might be questioning like my own identity and literally who I am to God. I'd like to share one last passage with you. If you'd go to your left, your Bible to Psalm 139. I'd love everyone to go there, whether you got on your phone, your Bible personally, look at the person on your left, your right. I don't want you to miss this because you need to know how God sees you. And a lot of times in life, Man, it becomes a question of who am I to God? Literally, who, who am I? Could God ever forgive me? Could I still be accepted? I mean, I feel like I am following Jesus, but I cannot keep on keeping on. I think if there was a man who understood this really well, it was a guy named David. And he wrote down something special about the Lord. And he says this in Psalm 139, verse 1. He says, Lord, you, you know, God, you've searched me and you've known me. You've examined my life, he says. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, <laughs> you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. 
even before there is even a word on my tongue. Behold, Lord, you know it all. It's like God is a, he, he's watching you. He's the secret service. He's, the, he's, a, he's that door video, the, the camera on your doorknob. He, he knows where you're at every single time. He's like a tracking device on your phone. You're trying to play hide and go seek. And God's like, I see you. You're playing blind man's bluff. He's like, why? I'm right there. You can go anywhere and I'm going to be there. He says, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, man, you're there. If I go to the bed of Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me and surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. But even in the darkness, is not even dark to you. I can't even hide in the dark. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Where There's no place where I can go from you. No matter what I've done, David says, no matter what I've experienced, I am your God and I will be your God. I've been in the, the weakest moment and your worst moment. I've been in your greatest moment and the joyous moment. I'm there. Why? The question is why? We see it more develop in verse 13. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame has not been hidden from you, and when I was made in secret, you skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not even one of them. There in that womb, just as Paul said about when God, you know, even in my mother's womb, he had set me apart. The crazy thing is for every single one of you, as David learned and understood, you should know today, no matter where you've been, even in your mother's womb, God has called you. He sets you apart. He wants you to be a part of his family and he knits you together, put you, and in fact, you are who you are today, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are you. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, I am wonderfully made. And so are you. Tell him, so are you. Give him encouragement. You are wonderfully made. You are beautiful in the eyes of God. Do not forget that. See, God made you with a purpose and that purpose was to be with him, to love him because he's been thinking about you this whole time. He would even go further and say, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. If I could count the sand, every single grain, the sand that we find here in Phoenix, Arizona, surprise, to the deserts in Yuma, to the sand that's in the deserts in Arabia, to the sand that's in the storehouses on top of shelves like in Home Depot and Lowe's and Walmart, God's thoughts about you are more than the grains of sand. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about you more than the sand that you see on the coastline over there in the Pacific, on California, up to the Washington and Oregon, over on the East Coast, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, all the way down to Florida and to Georgia. There are more thoughts about you, and I haven't even talked about Australia yet, or, or Europe, or Africa, the continents, that, and we haven't even gone... Have we even talked about sandwiches yet and sandpaper? God's thoughts about you are more than the grains of sand. 
And we haven't even begun to start about the oceans and the seas all around us because underneath them is more sand. And every single grain you can count and try to count and figure out, God is thinking and dwelling his thoughts on you. And there are more because God loves what he's made. And you wonder who I might be to God? God, Jesus Christ loves you. He says, even when I awake, I know I'm still with you. Even that sand man that puts the sand in my eye, I'm reminded every morning when I awake, God is with me. And he loves you so much. And he came to give you his life and a story. And Paul was transformed by it. He was on his way to Damascus, the persecuted church, and he was hit by a semi-truck. He didn't look like who he was. He was literally, physically, spiritually transformed. And he became a new person. And he wanted to share that story for all of us to know that the grace of God abounds, that it's free, and it's for you to receive today. I'd like everybody in this room to bow your heads and with your, for just a moment. And maybe just to not have distractions, maybe close, even close those eyes, but I'd love to just, just speak to you now and just have the Lord just minister to your heart and just allow him to, to, to be a conduit today of hope. Jesus came to build the bridge to restore lives, to take us out of death and bring us into life. Today, you can become that new creation where the old things pass away and all things become new. Who are you to God? To you, you are loved. If you have an identity struggle, a crisis, I pray today that you would receive that hope and know today for certain that Jesus loves you. If you'd like to ask and receive, just receive the free gift of salvation in Christ by believing on him. Would you just pray this prayer with me? And say, God, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. You came to rescue me from this present evil age. And because of your love for me. Lord, I want to live for you. I believe you rose from the grave and because you live, I desire to live after you. Thank you, Jesus, for just accepting me as I am. Father, fill me, Lord, with your spirit this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you thank the Lord today?